Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and Truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's the host of Stand Up For The Truth, Mike LeMay. Cutting through the noise and fog of this world and pointing us to the eternal truth found only in God's Word. Hello, friends. Mike LeMay and Crash Connell. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. Uh, an interesting show, to say the least, today. After we open a prayer, we'll get right to it, but it's all about loneliness. Father God, you created Adam and said it is not good for him to be alone. And Lord, we... We are lonely people deep down. We seek meaning, fellowship, and relationship. But as we're going to talk about this morning, we look in every place for that except the one place that we can get it, and that's in relationship with you. So help us, Lord, this day to understand what relationship with you looks like. Help us understand, Lord, what it means to be adopted sons and daughters of the King of the universe. And Lord, uh, we just pray that your name and word will be glorified and honored this hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're going to talk about the epidemic of loneliness today, and as we said, God created Adam and said it was not good for man to be alone. We live our lives seeking meaning, relationship, and comfort, but we always seem to look in the wrong places. Therapy cats, yoga goats, and comfort ducks, just the latest fads as man attempts to find relationship and comfort. Well, joining us this morning, Dave Wager of Silverbridge Ranch, and we're going to talk about our pursuit of comfort and relationship and why we seem to seek it everywhere except the one place we can find it, relationship with God. Hey, Dave, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. Right, thank you, and thank you for such an interesting topic. Uh, well, I'm going to read this article, Please and we're going to try not to laugh as we read it. It comes from John Stone Street and uh, Breakpoint. It's called The Cure to Loneliness is Connection, Not Critters. Okay. Mm. All of us have times when we want to be pampered. For some, that means a few hours of a day at the spa or a hike in the great outdoors. But another option is now available, courtesy of a farm in upstate New York. Cow cuddling. <laughs> Excuse me. Mountain House Farm offers visitors a horse and cow experience, and it consists of spending quality time petting, brushing, and even cuddling the animals. And according to their website, cow cuddling is the hottest, trend of the moment. I don't get it. And it isn't cheap, $300 for a 90-minute cuddle, but the potential benefits are considerable, we're told. Quote, cuddling with animals has shown to reduce stress and help us bond with nature. You can feel your happiness, sadness, or anxiety, and these animals will respond to you without any judgment. Now, another thing they talk about, and it's becoming very popular, even in the Green Bay area, I saw this advertised, goat yoga which is exactly what it sounds like. You practice yoga in the presence of and in tandem with live goats. And of course, the sheer number of emotional support animals join us in supermarket aisles or crowded airplanes has led us to say, challenges to say the least. David, United Airlines recently announced it is limiting emotional support animals to dogs and cats. And the change came about because of the complaint of passengers 
People were bringing on pigs, turkeys, ducks, and a peacock. Yeah, I have a rhinoceros. Yeah, but right now? No, I'm kidding. You didn't I don't, bring it no, up. No, they won't let me end up playing with it, so got to oh. ch- choose something else. And, you know, the article goes on to conclude, let's be clear, though I have not seen any church-sponsored goat yoga groups yet, Christians are not immune to the loneliness-producing machine that is our culture. Still, we of all people should understand the God-given created need for connectedness and that, that the church has an opportunity to offer to the world a community of connected people, connect with our creator and with each other, like no other institution across our society can. So we have this hole in us, Dave, this loneliness. Yeah. And I, I, I'm always amazed in the uh, second chapter of Genesis, after God creates Adam and he puts him in this paradise with animals and, and fruit trees and, and all this wonderful creation, he still looked and said it's not good for Adam to be alone. Yeah, yeah. you know, I think... It's important if, if people are listening right now. We're we're not saying that you shouldn't have pets. You shouldn't enjoy pets. We're not saying that you know sitting on the couch with your dog or cat there and stroking it a few times is a bad thing. So don't don't hear no. that. What we're talking about is the substitution for relationships that takes place and the world trying to figure out something that God figured out a long time ago because He created us. We were created to be relational. And I actually think, you know, I mean, we run a camp, we have 30 some horses and, and I see kids interacting with horses and I think that's a good idea and they brush the horses and they're kind of the, good, good. That, that's good. Does it do them good? I think it does. But the, the companionship, the absolute companionship that God created us to have is first of all with him and secondly with one another. And when we start substituting something for that, that's exactly what it is. It's a substitute, and it's not the real thing. And even though it might provide temporary peace for somebody, it won't be permanent because it is a substitute. Hmm. Um, talking about having a, a, a relationship with somebody who um, absolutely loves you and knows what's best for you and will help provide, th- that's God. I mean, if they're talking about you know dogs like they're God. Hmm. Like, you need to have this relationship with a dog because they're so accepting. You know, God, while I was still a sinner, he sent Jesus to die for me. He, he is the one that accepts me and loves me and knows me. I mean, God loves me no matter, I mean, when I think about it, he loves me and he actually knows me. I mean, people can love me that don't know me because they don't know all my, you know, goofy characteristics. And all the garbage. Yeah, I mean, but God knows all of it, all of it, and he loves me. I think that's better than a dog. I think so. Yeah. You know, one thing in that article that I did find was interesting, uh, Dave, it said how you can relax and, and have comfort around these, feel happiness and sadness, and the animals will respond to you without any judgment. Now, let's talk about God and judgment as it relates to unbelievers and believers. We have been saved by the blood of Christ. We have been, we are being made holy by the blood of Christ. There are still consequences to our bad actions, but we're no longer judged uh, as it comes to eternity for those sins. That's just that's just what I said. He he actually knows Dave Wager, knows all my sin, knows the things that I have been involved in that I shouldn't, and still loves me. Now, if I don't want to be judged one day for all those things, then I need to understand that I'm sinful and I put my trust in Jesus. At that moment, you know, there's three aspects to this salvation. I become a child of the king, and and really all my sins, all my past sins, everything 
has been forgiven. And, and really all my current, I can, I can now be free from the very power of sin today, and one day I'll be free from the presence of sin. So, so salvation has like three aspects to it. We're free from the penalty, and we're free from the power of sin, and we're free from the one-day presence of sin, but that's the future. So when you talk about somebody loving you unconditionally and not judgmentally, God has every right in the world to judge Dave Wager. He has every right to do that because Dave Wager is a sinner. But what he's chosen to do is send his son to this earth to die on the cross, to pay the price for my sins, and really to take the judgment, the harsh judgment that I deserve, Jesus took. So now I stand without that judgment. Again, that's better than any animal in, in the world. And we were, you know, we were created to enjoy animals. So again, I hope that people that are listening are really realizing we're not saying you shouldn't have a pet or enjoy them or be with them or, or even enjoy riding a horse or, you know, maybe having a cow in the county fair or whatever it might be. That, that's fine. That's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about seeking actual comfort. You know, I, let me, I can, can I tell you something I'm confused by? Absolutely. I'm right. probably confused by it, too. Yeah. So. Well, last night I was watching the news, and, and there was this ad for a mirror that you can put on the wall and exercise in front of. Hmm. Okay. Now, I, first of all, I, I'm of the generation where I would never want to exercise in front of a mirror. I don't want to see stuff flopping around and all that stuff. I don't, I don't see it. I, I'd like to pretend I have a little better physique than what I actually have. So, But beyond that... This mirror was a kind of an interesting mirror because in it, you could see yourself, but you could also see an instructor that would come up and help you and make sure you're doing everything right. And there were other people. And, and it was uh, talking about how wonderful it is that you could work out by yourself without anybody else, but be with other people while you're working out and have an instructor while you're working out, but still be in the privacy of your own home. And, and I thought, go to a gym, would you? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I understand the idea, but we are doing things as a culture to isolate ourselves from people to the degree where we need to find some other way to be relational. And maybe we're doing it with cows and ducks. You know, I mean, I, I don't know, but we're made to be relational. And now people are on the, their computers, they're on their smartphones. Now they're exercising as a group in front of a mirror. You can buy a bike that allows you to exercise with an instructor on the screen in front of you so they're not with you really, which means yeah, you irritate you, you just turn it off and leave. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that look like they're relational. But they're really not. But they're really not. You know, I want to uh, ask you something, Dave, about how we, we know, according to God's Word, He is our comforter, uh, He is our strength, He is our rock, uh, we are adopted children. Back when I was about 23, uh, I had a job, and I really hated it, and I wasn't any good at it. And I went out of my way to avoid my boss yep. because I knew if I ran into him, he was probably going to chew me out or fire me. So I just did everything I could to avoid ever having that boss see me. I wonder with some Christians if we don't have that attitude with God. We, we love God, but we sin, and we're afraid that if we run into God— or go to God, that he's going to yell at us. So we kind of avoid a relationship with him because we don't understand him. Yeah, I, th I think in, in the same way a child who does something wrong and mom and dad come home, they realize they've got to face the facts. You know, I mean, we did this or they're going to hide. 
try and fix it, pretend it never happened. And that's a relational issue. You know, I, I think, Mike, we love, or Satan loves, presenting substitutes for the real thing. So what, what happens is there's a real thing. If I could go into some simple stuff, there's a real uh, thing called marriage that God made. He made it between one man and one woman. He made it so that you, you know, life and that kind of thing. What, what's, what, is, what are we doing to it? We're trying to make all these substitutes for marriage. You know, you can marry same gender. You can marry, you know, all these substitutes. Trying to find the same um, benefit, if you want to call it, or the same uh, fruit of, of what God had intended in the first place, but doing it through a substitute. It's kind of like there's still nothing like real sugar. I mean, go ahead and eat saccharin or whatever else you want to do, but it's all substitutes. What are they all trying to do? Imitate sugar. So my thought is, take sugar. Why substitute when you're trying to get sugar taste? You know, go get sugar. I know some people are saying, ah, this is, I, I don't want that argument either. I'm just saying there's a substitute and we're substitute crazy. If, if you want love, God says, here's the context for it. God loves you, so you need to respond to his love. You have a family that you're to love. He even tells us to love our enemies. He puts it in context. So if we can find something to love, that's, it's, it becomes really weird when it's not in those categories. So we can love money. And we're told in the Bible, if you love money, you're going to be in trouble. We could love goats. You know, I mean, and again, that's a substitute. It's not the real thing. But because we're made in the idea of relationship, we start to develop relationships with things that we can't have relationships with, really. Hmm. So, like, you can't have a relationship with money. And, and yes, you, you think you can have a relationship with a goat or whatever else, or a duck. I, I'm not sure, because I, I don't know any goat psychology or anything. I, I have no idea what they're thinking or what's going on. And maybe somebody could say, no, they're... I, I'm not saying they don't respond to being petted. I mean, probably any animal, if you don't kill it, probably likes it. And probably if you give it up, you know, you pet it behind the ears or scratch it behind the ears, it probably thinks pretty nice. So I, I don't know if you can substitute that for they, they like you, but I think they sure like their ears scratched. Sure. So. You know, uh, you talked about marriage, and we're going to cover this story Thursday, but the American Psychological Association has just launched a task force encouraging non-monogamous relationships. And what they're saying in the article is that basically the driving thing for people is sexual intimacy. And so they are, they are actually now proposing anti-marriage. Don't be tethered to one person because one person can never provide everything you need to be happy. Their word's not mine. <clears throat> so you need to have several relationships. I mean... This is just how bizarre um, psychology and the American thought process has become. Yeah, it's the saccharine of love. You know, uh, I mean, basically, you know, you know that when you actually love somebody in a marriage relationship, there's a physical relationship involved. And so you're trying to do the physical relationship to get the benefit, if you want to call it, of, the, of that action within a relationship, but you don't have the relationship, so it's not real. And you don't want the responsibilities right. of, of a relationship, which is to choose to love your partner, right. even when sometimes they're hard to love. Yeah, there's too many substitutes out there. I would encourage our listeners 
not not to i mean if you're acting against we love animals and that kind of thing i mean you're missing the point of the program because w- what really you need to do is is start looking at how many things in life have i allowed to substitute for the real thing in life and and we need to try and look at that and try and figure out what is the substitutes that that i put in place whether it be money i mean people who love money and and that's the substitute for god and peace and and all kinds of stuff. It's probably wise to look and try and figure that out. Mm-hmm. I, uh, as I'm listening to you, I'm trying to recall the last time I actually felt lonely. Can you recall feeling lonely? Because um, that's what that's the issue. I mean, feeling lonely. And when I'm uh, sharing uh, my faith and and i'm talking about god and joy and stuff like that and going like they look at me like you really don't know what it's like to be alone or lonely and i'm going let me think about this i mean feeling completely lonely alone because uh like you said i have not found connection through social media i'm not that naive but i'm thinking lonely and uh there's a difference between feeling lonely and being alone yeah there is and, and I think personalities, too. I, th- I think we have to understand there's introverted and extroverted personalities, and an introvert really values being alone at times to, to sort things out, and that's fine. Jesus was alone a lot. He was alone a lot. That, that's fine. But, but here's what I like to ask the kids at Nicolay Bible Institute. Are you ever really alone? I don't believe we are. No. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about this cloud of witnesses that are watching you. Right. The, the idea, go to Job, which is maybe the oldest book in the Bible, and look at Obviously, what was going on in Job's life was being witnessed by all those in heaven. Obviously, there was a discussion between Satan and God. There was something going on that everybody was watching. I, I honestly believe this, that Dave Wager and Everett, you put your name in there, you are never actually alone. So don't act like you are. You know, when I have narcolepsy, as we've said often, so that shouldn't surprise our guests, and which means that I love shutting my eyes and just enjoying nothing. I, I mean, I, it's, it's a disease. I can't, I can't cure it. And I, for me, it's, it's like I love, I would rather just close my eyes and sit in a lazy boy. It looks like I'm wasting time. But that's the pull all the time is just close my eyes. You know what I find when I close my eyes, though? I find that immediately my mind goes to saying these words, I love you, God. And I start talking to God. I'm not alone in that moment. I've closed my eyes. I don't see anybody, but I'm not alone. Those who are believers are never, ever alone. Now, if you're not a believer, if you've never understood the love of God and responded to Jesus Christ in your life, I'm not saying that to you. When you feel alone, you are. You know, what? you're right, Crash. Jesus was alone a lot, but why did he choose to be alone? To pray. And, you know, he said, the Father and I are one. So I don't think Jesus was ever lonely. No. And that's he, what I'm trying to get to exactly. is what these people are trying to address is loneliness. Right. Because obviously they're not alone. Right. You're listening to Stand Up For The Truth, our guest Dave Wager of Nicolay Bible Institute. When we come back, just how disconnected have we become? If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Our topic today with Dave Wager, the epidemic of loneliness. We 
are so disconnected these days. There's some surveys and studies I was looking at, Dave and Crash, and I want to go over a couple of these uh, findings with you and get your thoughts on them. Most people used to have between four to six close friends. Now most have one or none. Yep. That's how lonely we become. And, you know, I, I had a friend I used to work with named Dennis, and he had a unique definition of the word friend. He said a friend is somebody that you could call up at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, I've got something on my mind. Will you come talk to me? And you say yes without any preconceived notion. You just right. show up. I mean, th that's that was his definition of friendship. Have we become so lonely that that we don't really have real friends anymore? I think I think that's a very interesting question because if you're in another country, when I've gone to other countries, and um, we talk about friendship, I'm immediately told in a couple of the places I went, no, you're not a friend, you're an acquaintance. By the time if they call you friend, that actually means something. Until then, they actually use a different word because you're not a friend right now. You're just somebody I met, I know, you, you know, etc. But you're not in that inner circle of friendship at this point. And I think that's really interesting to uh, dissect a little bit. I, th I think that all of us have a, a lot of acquaintances, but they're, are they friends? And that's where people feel lonely, I think, at times. It's not that you could be in the middle of a huge crowd. You can be somebody who everybody knows their name, and you can still not have a friend in that crowd. And, and I think that's critical for us to, to sort out in a way. Um, it's interesting they say this, because years ago I, I told the young people something. It says that most people used to have between four and six close friends. I've said, you know, it's, in life you're going to have a lot of acquaintances, but if you die and you have a handful, if you have five close friends, you're a rich man. And I think that's true. I think we ought to concentrate on, on developing friendships and not just acquaintances. In order to do that, you need to uh, spend time together. Hey, you know what I'm doing, um, Crash and Mike? I actually started some things. At Silver Birch Ranch, we have a place called the Wolf River Refuge, mm -hmm. and I started. I'm, I, I've started men's groups there, where we do stuff just to do together. So I go there and, and we do fly fishing, or we do you know other exp, exp, different kinds of things together, just so that people will get away from all the electronics, go out in the wilderness, look at each other, laugh, and have experiences together, and that's been very valuable. And and the guys that do it just love it. They they grow close to each other and. Till this day, and I've mentioned it on the air before, because I usually catch the biggest fish, 18 inches, mind you, mm. and 18-inch uh, smallmouth. And I say that for the guy listening because it'll drive him nuts again. <laughs> um, but the, the bottom line really is that's the kind of stuff you have then. You have this camaraderie with people because you spend time doing stuff with them. And today, we, we spend time not doing stuff. We spend time watching others do stuff. Like, we'll spend time watching YouTube, and we'll spend time watching sports. These are others doing stuff. And somehow we've redefined it that we're doing stuff while we're watching them doing stuff. But they're the ones doing stuff. We're just sitting. Hmm. So we're not really doing anything. Then we think we've created, like, memories. This friendship or this Yeah, spot. but we haven't done anything. Right. In your uh, facts here, depression and suicidal thoughts have spiked to an alarming rate. I don't yeah. know if you have numbers on that, but... Uh. Well, I, I know that 40% of people who struggle with their gender identity seriously contemplate suicide. I know that um, suicide with young people and with middle-aged males mm -hmm. is off the chart right now. Yep. And I, I wonder how much of that is 
<clears throat> because these people don't feel they have a faithful friend they can turn to. I think so. I think once again, you go back to the way we were created. We were created to love God and love each other. So if you have neither of those aspects in your life, you are malfunctioning. And if you're malfunctioning, you're going to feel like you're malfunctioning, like you're purposeless and like you have no way to fix it. And apart from God, you don't. And so I don't find that surprising. The answer is to go back to God and the relationship that we were made to have in the first place. You know, the Bible, you read a verse. Uh, uh, did you read the verse, Genesis? No, I did not. Well, where it tells us that it's good for man not to be alone. I don't know how many young college kids I've told that to. So a young guy, he's going to go start a job, and he's going to get an apartment on his own. I say, why don't you have a roommate? Why? Because it's not good for you to be alone. Well, you don't need a roommate if you actually know you're never alone. I mean, if you actually act mm -hmm. like God is with you 100% of the time, then you realize you're never alone because young men tend to get in trouble when they think they're alone. And there's no accountability, and there's no one watching them. In reality, Boy, you said a mouthful. Say that again. Young men tend to get in trouble when they think when they're when they think they're alone and they're not really alone. No accountability. Yeah, no accountability. So here's the deal, though, Crash. When you think about it, if I'm a young man and I have an apartment of my own, and immediately I realize I am not alone. I'm talking with God right now. You know the the faithful are watching. Now I know I'm not alone. So I'm acting like I'm not alone. See, the, the idea of acting solo, totally alone, is not healthy. And I don't think the answer is to cuddle a cow. I mean, I, I don't think that's the answer. I think you're still alone while you're cuddling that cow. The answer is to have a relationship with God so you're never alone again. There's, there's going to come a time probably, if I don't die of a, like a bus hitting me or a heart attack or something, I die slowly in a bed somewhere, there's going to come a time where the world and the friends and the people that I love around me, I'm not going to see them anymore. It, it, there's a great danger in that moment of being alone, but I won't be. I'll be more uh, uh, with friends at that moment than ever in my life. I will be able to see the face of God. Um, I, I read recently about this lady, and I, I can't remember if it was on either social media or something, but I read about this lady who was born blind and somebody was talking to her. And she said, um, and they said to her, don't you wish you could have seen at one point and know what color looks like? And, and this lady said, no. The very first face I'm going to see is Jesus. Mm. And I thought, there you go. This lady knows she's not alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, she is somebody who has some perspective on life. And sometimes I think when you have a disease or you have a disability, you, you begin to realize something that everybody needs to realize. I'm not alone. And I don't need to go and find artificial companionship. Um, I think you can hire artificial companionship, actually. I think oh. people, you know, will just, you can hire them and they'll sit with you and have a pizza. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you can do that. The, the biggest thing in Japan right now is artificial intelligence spouses. You can, you can create, create your own spouse to physical speci uh, specifications, emotional specifications. You can program her what to say to you when you come home from work after a hard day. That's how goofy it's getting. That's how loneliness begins right there. If, you're, if you don't have God and you have a programmed spouse, <laughs> I'm sorry, you're going to be lonely. The, the last finding I've got here, and I want to bring this right back to us as a church, it says very few people claim they have a close friend they can share anything confidentially with. 
And this is where I think we're falling down on the job as Christians. Absolutely. We, we should be able to, we're called to, to share one another's burdens. Uh, Dave, if I am struggling with a temptation or a sin, I should be able to come to you or crash and know that uh, I'm going to be confronted with the truth, but it isn't going to show up on page one of the Green Bay Press Gazette. Right. And that's very important. I, I think my dad and my brother are pastors, and I've grown up in that environment. And when my dad died, he died with a host of secrets. Now, I call them secrets, but he counseled so many people. He knew the good, the bad, the ugly in so many people's lives, but he never had the freedom to tell anybody about it. What's really incredible there is how many in the church want to know the details so they can pray or whatever. And I'm thinking, you know what? If you share something with me, it's my obligation to remain silent Mm -hmm. before anybody else. If I do talk to anybody else about it, I need to have you in on it. I need to have you say this is a healthy thing and a right thing to do. There are people, if you do something wrong, that you should go back to and talk to and apologize. I understand that. But you need to do it, and I need to encourage you to do that. I don't need to do it. And there's many people that don't need to know. Um, In leadership, that's a tough thing in a church or in a ministry because there are times where you dismiss people, you do this, you do this. There's a group of people that know what's going on. And those, those people need to be silent. They need to be. Um, and in the church, you know, if you came to me, Crash, or you came to me, Mike, and you said, you know, I'm really struggling with um, temper. Every time I see a bear fan, I want to punch him out, you know, or something. I would, I would say, yeah, you know, you're sinful. I understand the temptation. But I, I wouldn't think less of you. We would talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I give people a formula to tell the difference between a friend and a gossiper. Go up to somebody in church. If I went up to somebody in church and said, would you pray for Nancy and I for our marriage? Now the person might say, well, sure, what's going on? But then when I say, you know, I don't need to burden you with the details. Just pray for our marriage. The friend will say, okay. Because the friend knows that God knows. The gossip will not quit until they get the juicy details of what's going on. Right. And and we should, I think it's perfectly fine to say, hey, Dave, tell me what's going on with you and Linda. But if you say, look, right now I don't feel like sharing, then as a friend, I'm going to pray for you and Linda. I don't need to know the details because God knows the details. Well, And that's what we talked about. When I was talking earlier about if you die and you have a handful of good friends, you're a rich man. Yeah. See, you need those people in your life, I think, eventually, that you can just talk to about anything. You, you know when you talk to them, you're talking to someone who loves you, cares for you, wants what's best for you. It's kind of like it mirrors your relationship with God in that sense because when you talk to God, he loves you, he knows you. You know, these friends love you, they know you. You know, it's not a surprise. If, if I have some real close friends and, and, and they, you know, correct me on something, it's usually not a surprise that they're doing it because they grow up with me, they know me. It's like, no, this is how Dave is. Every once in a while, we got to get them back centered. I, I was talking to you earlier about uh, telemarketers, Mike, and how my dear wife, she is, you know, I don't know, you know, I have a tendency to lose my temper with telemarketers when they call. And, you know, I, and I realize, I mean, I'm the first to tell you, I don't care if it's a telemarketer or anyone else, we represent Christ. But for some reason, I forget that often when, when a telemarketer calls. <laughs> and I want to just you know, give it to him verbally. And I can hear my wife in the background, be nice, be nice. You know what I mean? I can hear her. Now, that's a good thing. I realize she's not judging me or anything else. She's my wife. She loves me. But she, before I even start, she says, I know your tendency here. 
It's not that I'm throwing you under the bus. I'm just telling you, be nice because you can blast somebody verbally and you need to be careful. This is their livelihood. They're doing what they're told to do. You be nice to them. And I'm thinking, be nice. You know what I mean? I, uh, our church uh, Sunday had a service kind of in this arena. And one of the questions that, you know, ask yourself, when was the last time somebody rebuked you? Right. And my first response was, besides my wife? Yep. And uh, I had to really think about that. I'm going, when was the last time a brother or sister in Christ spotted something, a fruit or, you know, something and, and rebuked me? And I couldn't think of one. Yep. It's, it's, uh, but is that because we won't let people inside? We well, I'm talking them. about where you, something you can see. Yeah. Uh, obviously, um, but back to you're going back to with the tr- people that we can trust. And uh, J- James talks about pr- pray for one another. Right. Pray for one another so you will be healed. And he's not talking about of, uh, of a disease, but spiritual uh, a wholeness. And uh, it's odd. And I'm, I'm speaking for myself. I trust God. For my salvation, I trust him for this and this and this and this. But I, I sometimes I don't have the courage to go talk about something I'm struggling with with somebody, because right. uh, uh, my, my circle of influence could be this ministry here, and right. I don't know if I want to. Being in management, should I share this with it's not an employee? Or, By the way, it's not a surprise. Why anyone? When you share anything, it's usually not a surprise. If people are around you enough, and you say, "Look, I'm struggling with this," they're probably going to go. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I knew that. Yeah, with well, with, I'm struggling with sarcasm. They, they go, duh. Yeah. So I mean, it's not but, really. But I'm talking about like something that is not known. Yeah. You know, I think we're like that though. I think we're like that because the Bible says that we don't cast our pearls before swine. Hmm. And and if you think about that illustration, it's like, why don't you cast pearls before swine? Because they don't know what to do with them. I mean, you, you throw pearls before them, they're going to smell them, snort them, eat them, excrete them, you know, I mean, whatever. But they don't know what to do with pearls. So that's a great illustration. When I think of sharing something with somebody, the first thing I think of is, do they know what to do with what I'm sharing? If they don't know what to do with what I'm sharing, I don't share it. Because it's, it's, it's something... That's, 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 that's very interesting. Yeah, that's be, very interesting. Because I want them to do something with it, but do it right. So I will not share like the the terrible struggles I have in front of a whole crowd. Why? Because there's several pigs in the crowd mm-hmm. that don't know what to do. I know people are going to say, "Dave, how dare so you?" So we help? have to make our judgment before. I'm I'm processing here. So uh, I can't share this with Scotty because Scotty just would not know what to do with exactly. this information. Exactly. And there's others that you could share it with, and right away what you're going to understand before you share it is, number one, they're, going, they're not going to be surprised that I'm sinful. Number two, they're going to take it to the Lord. They're going to they're pray for me. Number three, they're going to give me solid advice, and then they're going to leave it. They're not gonna, it's not gonna, I'm not going to find it somewhere else, this information. I, I will never find it anywhere. They know that it doesn't go over here they keep it and and once you understand i think if i could call it the swine pearl idea once you understand that principle it's like you know what for these people here i will say only so much to this inner crowd of of friends i say everything and then when i talk to god he knows exactly what to do with everything so i can unload completely and anything i tell him is not a surprise 
So I get in the habit of meeting with God relationally and telling him everything that's on my heart and everything I've ever done. First John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You know, so I just talk to God. He knows anyway. Like if, if I come to God and I say, God, I was really selfish today. It's not like he goes, you were? <laughs> I missed it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what he does. He says, you were selfish today, Dave. And guess what? My son paid for that sin. He's your advocate. I still love you. But, but now I'm being honest with myself, and God knows what to do with it. So I could come to either you, you or Mike, Crash, and say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with selfishness. And you guys say, okay, let's pray for you, and you know what? Let's work on it. All right. Now, I'm convinced, other than all those listening on the radio today, that nobody else heard that. <laughs> you know, and, and so <laughs> then we go from there. And I'm not wondering if now the checkout lady at Walmart, when I check something out, goes, there's the selfish guy. You know, I'm not, I'm not worried about that because you guys know what to do with it. Uh, so I think it's a basic principle in in a, in the church that we should have. And if it's not there, we should start adopting it. And, uh, you know, maybe we should put posters around with a swine with pearls around its neck or something to remind us of what it is. Yeah, that is interesting. Dave Wager, our guest this morning, standing for the truth on Q90 FM. When we come back, our fear of abandonment. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. The epidemic of loneliness, how we're scarred by it, how we we seek fellowship and, and meaning, but we always look in the wrong places. Our final segment with Dave Wager of Silver Birch Ranch this morning. Guys, I think there's few more powerful things in the world uh, than the scars of abandonment. I think of children uh, who are victims of divorce. I think of a spouse abandoned by their spouse. Uh, I think of times when maybe a, a person loses their job and you feel abandoned and alone. That is a very, very lonely place to be. It is. And, you know, it, these are not things we don't acknowledge. We're not saying any pie-in-the-sky type of answer here. The truth is that sin is harmful. It's hurtful. No matter what level you are, sin hurts. But one of the things I think that, maybe theologically or is hard to grab is the idea that Dave Wager and his decisions today are going to affect all those that uh, are close to him, especially his family. They're going to affect them. So my sinful behavior affects other people and it affects them in a negative way. Part of loving people is realizing that. So we rein in our decisions because of the fact that we love the people around us and we realize how they're going to be affected by it. Now, once again, in a godless society and people who aren't walking with God don't understand the importance of loving others, they don't understand that their actions actually affect the other people in a way that's very hard to correct later. Uh, Satan knows that. I mean, Satan knows that if there's a child in the home and and one of the parents can just be totally self-centered, that child can be scarred for a long time in the relational realm. Uh, you guys know recently I wrote a book, um, My Shepherd, which mm-hmm. is 23rd Psalm. And one of the goals there was to open up children's eyes as to what, it, what God is as a shepherd because there's so many fathers that, are, that have scarred the idea of calling God a father. So it's not that eventually I don't want to call God a father to children. But because of, in America anyway, the idea of father isn't always a good idea, I want to start with something neutral like a shepherd and a sheep and show what the relationship should be like. 
And then we can transfer it over to a father because uh, you go to First John, one of the things that you, that you notice is you, you have to see the truth lived out. So you want to see the truth lived out so that you can understand the truth. Well, in our country, boy, you watch enough TV, you're going to see a bunch of dysfunctional relationships and all kinds of stuff. You, you look at you know, a lot of homes and there's dysfunctional relationships. What we need to do is start portraying relationships that work and allow people that are in scarred kind of relationships to see healthy relationships to help minimize their future scars. So if somebody comes to me, let me, I'll make this simple. If somebody comes to me and they're a college student and they're at the Nicolay Bible Institute and they come from a broken home, a dysfunctional home maybe, broken home, and, and I'm trying to talk to them about what a functional home looks like and what the Bible talks about, the best way for me to do that is invite them over to my home to play games. Why? I want them to see how our home is set up. I want them to see how my wife and I interact. I want them to, you know, that's the way to do it. It isn't preach out of it at this point. They need to see that there is a different way to do this. And once they witness that there's a different way to do it, they can begin to grab an option for themselves so that they don't have to live the way they were. The Apostle Paul said that as, as he got older in ministry. He said, you know, imitate me, he told, I believe it was Timothy. You know, imitate me. And, and that's an important quality. Now, someone might look at Paul and say, well, that, that's kind of arrogant, imitate me. No, 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 no. Put that in context. That's how we learn. We need enough older people in life to say, imitate me, because I'm imitating God. So if I tell a young person to imitate me because I'm imitating God, I need to realize I will stand before God for that statement. And I need to take seriously my relationship with God and let this young person see what it looks like to walk with God and enjoy God. I need to let him see what a, a loving husband acts like to his wife and children. And the only way to do that is involve them in our life somehow. Or uh, you're convicting me. I there's times I don't want to tell my son to to imitate me. And and that's I'm, what I'm convicting say, me on that one. What, what I would say to you, Crash, then is those areas are the ones you need to clean up. Because you need to be able to tell your son, you imitate me in every area of life. Yeah. Boy, there's times and then I stand can't before do that. God. Oh. Well, but but let's just talk about that. I, I think I've shared this on the air that uh, when I was a young Christian I went to church one time, and boy, I just we praise God and everything else. Well, the day before, uh, our, I, I got home from church that day, and I was going to have some thick-cut pork chops. Yep. So I went to Austin's, got some thick-cut pork chops, and I pulled them out, and I realized the clerk had given me thin-cut pork chops. And I cursed, cursed her out. And uh, the next day, one of my children used very, very inflammatory right. wrong language. And I said to him, I said, I don't tolerate that kind of language in this household. And he said, you had no problem tolerating it yesterday. Yeah. So I did not exemplify to him Christ-like living, but it gave me an opportunity to, because I said to him, you're right. Right. I apologize, forgive me, I was not a good example. So Crash, even in our failures as fathers, we can exemplify what the Christian life looks like by owning our garbage. Well, I mean, I will, most of the time I'm convicted immediately, right. not even with, uh, I, I know it's the Holy Spirit because it's not sometimes in anger or frustration. You don't you don't read facial cues or something. Right. You know what I mean. And uh, but I'm just like that was not Christ like. You know this and uh, and and 
my young man has seen me my my boy has seen me apologize for that and yeah. and ask for forgiveness and i'm you know well crash that's vital and i'll tell you why because i've asked college kids before if they've ever seen a man in their family father grandfather say i was wrong please forgive me uh, at least half of them have never seen it never seen it so then my thought immediately goes to how do they know how to say they're wrong how where where are they learning that saying i made a mistake i did something wrong is okay to do in front of those you love if if their fathers and their mothers are never wrong at what they do and they they only they hide the fact that they make mistakes i think we need to be willing to say i'm sorry that was not right and when we do that, we're training the next generation. Well, you're it's back to what you said. You're going to stand before God, and that's my truth. Right? Is I'm going to answer for this. Uh, what the, the verse about woe to the one that causes these children to sin? Better just tie, drown yourself. Right. You're better off just drowning yourself. Right. God's going to hold us accountable for how we affect the next generation. I tell you what I have found. Again, I don't. This could be a whole program someday, but I think that that children do whatever their parents do to an excess. So like my parents watched, you know, I grew up in a black and white TV era, all right? So we watched very little TV, did very little. I watched more TV than them. They justified the TV, I watch more TV than them. Hmm. Um, no matter what they do, if, if, if you, um, my dad had chocolate around, he didn't when he was a kid, so he did for us, he, we had chocolate, I have more chocolate around. Um, I warn people about this all the time. There are people that say, you know, we, we drink moder- moderately at our house, alcohol. And I say, you do realize the kids are watching. Well, yeah, they see moderation. I say, they'll drink more than you because you've opened the door for them. And, and then it's like, well, you mean I need to adjust my behavior according to everybody that comes in? Yes. That's a hard thing to do. Yes. Now, even if there's a legitimate behavior, you need to adjust it according to how you are going to affect the next generation. So I personally, I don't drink and I don't do a bunch of other things. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that I just don't do because I think I, I don't want the next generation to see me approve of something that could be extremely damaging to them. And I've had uh, some people argue with me and say, well, then you shouldn't eat food or like, don't get funny. I, the, the truth is I do watch my weight. You know, not to excess, but I do. Because what I'm doing again is trying to figure out how do the actions of Dave Wager, whatever they are, how do they affect the next generation? Because I do know this. I will stand before God on how I affected them. And if I put obstacles in their way, if I've done things, you know, and I know that principle that Crash talked about, it, you know, it is better for me, you know, to have a a millstone tied around my neck and thrown into an abyss than to cause young ones to, to wander. I mean, it's better to do that. So it's like, okay, God, you take this seriously. I should take it seriously. This fear of abandonment has just become the norm in our society. We see children from broken families. Uh, we see the scourge of social media where people are backstabbed and lied about on social media. Dave, can that bleed over into our lives as Christians where we're just waiting for God to abandon us? Yes. I mean, if the hours of influence are all going to be mainly media and, and entertainment and people and that kind of thing, we're, we're going to start thinking that relational abandonment is normal. And it really isn't. The idea of marriage that God gives us is one man to one woman, and they are committed to each other. This is not an arrangement they make. 
This is a commitment they make, and that's totally different. God made a commitment to us. We make a commitment to others. It's not something that can change. What young people need to see is that within the relational realm that Christians have, it's a permanence. It isn't something that goes away. And we actually look to each other and say, I want what's best for that person. I remember as my kids were little, I used to, to look at them and say stuff. You know, I, maybe I had to punish them for something. And sometimes I would tell my daughters, you know what? I'm just dad. I'm not God. I might be doing this all wrong. I might not be understanding something completely. So here's, here's what you have to hear. I'm dad. I love you tremendously. And, and my actions in this way are being done because I think it's going to help you. And that's why I'm doing them. But I don't want to do them. But I wanted them to hear something from me. It's like, you know what? I, I'm human. I can make mistakes. But I need to act because I love you. I need to help you see something that I want you to see. But if I'm wrong, please forgive me because I'm just doing it because I care for you. So it's, it's an idea, again, of, of looking forward and saying the actions that I have in life are going to affect that next generation. And if it affects them adversely, you know, if, I'm, if my kids are growing up and all my life they've understood that I worship money and money's the most important thing and they grow up and they worship money and money's the most important thing, I think I'll stand before God and, and he will say, why did you teach them that money was the most important thing? And I might even not know that I did that. Well, back to the abandonment that Mike's talking about, <clears throat> my son, I don't, I, I couldn't understand, but he would get uh, upset when uh, Katie and I would be arguing or having a, a loud discussion sometimes. And I'm going, uh, I said, what makes you think that this is going to end up in something bad? And he says, I don't, but I've seen how it affects. I have friends at school that don't have a mom or a dad. Right. I just fear that it, that could possibly happen. Right. And that's what we have to deal with him is, well, you're just going to have to watch over time that nothing is going to, because Katie loves Jesus and I love Jesus. That's what it's all about. And that's what he needs to hear. He actually needs to hear you figure out your differences and that kind of thing and realize. That's what, you know, yeah. he, he needs to realize the difference by watching between a commitment and an arrangement. Because most people that get married today, the reason there's a problem is they have an arrangement. They, they think, you do this, I do this, I'm getting married for me, you're getting married for you. If you break that, then I break that. That's not what a commitment is. A commitment is, I'm in this. Yep. Good, bad, or ugly, I'm in it. And I'm committed to you and the good of you for the rest of your life. And I'm to love my wife like Christ loved the church. That's a commitment. That isn't an arrangement. And so kids need to see commitment, not, not arrangement. David, in the minute and a half we have left, would you speak to Christians out there who might be wrongfully afraid that their next sin is going to lead to God abandoning them? There's no possible way that will happen. John 10, 28, 29, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Go read that passage. God says, there's a time where you have put your trust in me and you are in my family. The family illustration is permanent, it isn't temporary. Not only that, Christ takes you, puts you in his hand and closes it. God puts his hand over you and says, I give you eternal life. They shall never perish and no man can take you out of my hands. And by the way, you are a man, you can't even take yourself out of that hand. Even when you sin? Yes. 
even when you disobey me, you are mine, and the, the enemy nor no man can snatch you from me. That's right. First John 1, 9, you confess your sin. God already knows it. Now you know it. Now get on with it. There you go. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show and talk about tomorrow. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpWithTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's Mike LeMay. Well, Dave Nicolay Bible Institute, there's still some openings this fall? There are. You know, young person, either getting out of high school or out of college, or we even have some that come after a year or two in career because they're just not sure where they're going in life. Nicolay Bible Institute on the campus there of Silver Birch Ranch is a great place to come to learn who God is and to learn to die to yourself. That's really what we're about. So I invite you to check it out, NicolayBibleInstitute.com or .org, NicolayBibleInstitute.org. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-T. That's a French word. Ah, so, we won't it, hold that against yeah, you. Yeah, we're in the Nicolay National Forest. That's how we get it. So. NicolayBibleInstitute.org. Tomorrow, Carl Kirby of Reasons for Hope Ministry joins David and I. For Crash Connell and... Dave Wager. I'm Mike LeMay, standing up for the truth. I hope the show blessed you today. I hope it challenged you today. But please remember this. In a world where abandonment is becoming the norm, nothing can snatch you from God's hand when you trust in Jesus Christ. Be bold, strong, unashamed of the gospel, because the Lord your God is always with you.